our 2017 Eternal Weekend Preview on episode 72 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 72 of So Many Insane Plays, our annual Eternal Weekend North America Preview. This is one of our most exciting shows of the year, where we predict a vintage championship metagame and appraise the decks to beat. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi, everyone. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at many insane plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTG Cast, or TheManadrain.com. Kevin, this is one of our most exciting shows because not only do we break down all the data to try and predict what's actually going to show up at Eternal Weekend, but we hold ourselves accountable. Mm-hmm. So and we're going to get we're going to give our listeners a literally down to like the the decimal point <laughs> our breakdown <laughs> of what we expect to show up and at, why at the, and why. Yeah. And we're also going to take a look at the decks and look at the prevailing trends. We're going to look at shops. We're going to look at dredge. We're going to look at oath. We're going to look at Jeskai and Grixis and a whole bunch of other things. So we're really excited to dive into this. And we're going to bring a fair bit of detail to bear here in terms of recent tournament data. We've got large tournament results from Eternal Extravaganza. We have consistent results week over week from the Magic Online Vintage Challenges. And we have some precedent results from last year's Vintage Champs and prior years where you and I have observed some trends. Bringing it all to you. That's right. First things first, though, we have some announcements for this episode. Steve, you have some article updates? Well, the long-awaited conclusion to my old-school uh, series is live. Kevin, did you did you get to take a look at my prison article? I skimmed through it. I basically just looked at all the pictures. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I did read most of it, and it's really a fascinating history. Uh, uh, having been present for a number of the advancements in vintage prison, it was a fun read to get some of the color before and after. Well, you know, it's funny to joke about looking at pictures and magic articles or any anything else. But the truth of the matter is part of the fun of articles is the picture because you get to see all the beautiful old school cards laid Absolutely. out, you know, so elegantly. So, uh I I think it's uh less self-effacing than you may have suggested. Uh, but <laughs> but yes, it it was uh it was uh a pretty fun article to write and and the whole series is now up and I I would just encourage people to bookmark that page. I think the series all 12 parts are kind of a nice comprehensive without being exhaustive look at the old school landscape. So, if you haven't seen it, take a look at it. Be sure to bookmark it. I've got index an index in each of the uh, articles, so you can. All the articles are cross-referenced. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing it again in full. So we've got some VSL updates, and at the time of this recording, I have not yet played my match in the uh, second <laughs> trimester, and neither has Steve, because he and I are both in the same group, which is the third pod coming up next week that will probably coincide with the release of this episode very closely. So that'll be on October 17 that the two of us will play. But Steve, we can talk about what has happened so far this season and in the second trimester. What are your yeah, thoughts? What it, well, um, it's, we're five weeks in. It's been pretty interesting ride so far. I, I really like the format. We talked about how much we enjoyed the format and people being compelled to try new things, to experiment, to brew. Uh, I certainly have felt the pressure for that, and neither one of us know what the other the other is playing, and I, I want right. to keep keep it that way. We won't until until the the game starts uh, until Tuesday. 
I am extremely excited for this uh, for this trimester. Uh, there was a couple of criteria that I wanted to come up with. Number one, I wanted something that would be extremely entertaining for viewers. Number two, I wanted a project. I wanted something <laughs> that I could, you know, you get, you know, roll up my sleeves, get in the laboratory, do a little bit of experimenting, creativity, uh, and use some of my experience in in design skill in the format to actually. I wanted a project, right? Something to actually have to work on. And this certainly qualifies as that. And I, I, I told Randy before this trimester started, but I said that I believe that I had the the most exciting deck of the of the um, of the twelve, and I still believe that to be the case. And he's been touting that on coverage. He's been talking <laughs> up our match in particular. Looking forward to this third group. So I'm excited too. I'm looking forward it's, to it. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. So what do you what what do you make of what's happened so far? Well, uh, what for my. For my purposes, one of the headlines has been Aaron Campbell's um, jockeying for position from a game theory standpoint with when she was going to play Dredge, right? I think that's pretty <laughs> funny. I think she chose the most logical, but not quite the most extreme choice to play it in the second of, of the trimesters. And she just completely r- rolled everyone in her group. She went 3-0. and It wasn't even close. She didn't even have a game three in her yeah. pile. It was crazy. We're gonna t- we will talk a lot about that deck when we get to Dread. <laughs> That's but, right. But no, it's a, it's a very good point. And I mean, everyone she, knew that she was coming with Dread at some point, and right. she still crushed. <laughs> and um, I think playing it in the second grouping was the most logical. If you play it in the first grouping, then people can can kind of skimp on preparing for it thereafter. And if you don't play it in the second grouping, then people are very high, very opt to uh, to expect you in the third. So playing in the second grouping was the most logical, and I think she made the best of her opportunity. She definitely dominated that grouping. Yeah, what I also you, wh- go ahead. I also wanted to point out that uh, Paul Rietzel brought Deep Root Champion, the new Korean Dryad, <laughs> to play, yeah. which was pretty sweet. And it it didn't get to really dominate in his matches, sadly. But I appreciate the fact that he brought it. Speaking of. Uh, new cards and brews we one of the cards that we reviewed in our excellent set review was hostage taker which actually oh yeah <laughs> i completely forgot about that yes totally awesome rachel agnes brought a deck which she titled uh for, what was the actual title the, the real, real thieves. thieves yeah the, <laughs> the, real, the thieves, real thieves which when it first came up you know her hand looked like she was playing regular grixis thieves and randy and 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 the other co-hosts thought, well, what's this real thieves business? Well, then hostage taker came up in the sideboarding view, and that was the real coup right there. Hostage taker is a sweet card. It it didn't really pan out the way she needed it to in her particular matches, but that's it's not an indictment. I mean, the card is cool and it can do some cool things. She actually got to take a monastery mentor with it. Yes, yeah, she did. But Prize unfortunately, possession. that was that was short lived. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Exile made, made kind result. of a splash. Right. Dredge made a splash. Um, and don't forget that Aaron just won, as of that week, the most recent vintage challenge with Dredge. One of the other observations in the vein of new cards is we got to see Riche by Spyglass, mm-hmm. precisely the manner that feared. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was pretty grim. He And for those of you who didn't see it, he played turn one Sorcerer Spyglass on the play against Randy. And Randy had two flooded strands in his opening hand, and Rich got to hit both of those. And that is one of those outcomes that you and I feared is is one of the big blowouts for that Sorcerer's Spyglass. In hindsight, we, none of us knew at the time. It turns out that Rich only had one Sorcerer's Spyglass, a single copy, yeah. and Randy <laughs> right. only had those two flooded two. strands. 
(laughs) (laughs) So maximum feel bads on that result. It was pretty, pretty awesome. So by the time you're listening to this, Steve and I will either be playing very soon or we'll have already played and, and we're both excited to see how that goes. Yes, please join us for episode so many insane plays of the VSL. <laughs> Good times. So let's move on and talk about Eternal Weekend. So let's start off our Eternal Weekend coverage here by reminding everyone of some of the fundamental details of the event. And we do have some new details that we haven't had before on prior shows, vis-a-vis Old School as run by Jayco and Eternal Central. So that's pretty cool. Jayco had said before, and we alluded to, that he was planning to run a a big blowout at uh, Old School event. The day before, basically, Eternal Weekend kicks off. Well, it's not really the day before. Sorry. It's the first day where the trials start. That's Thursday of this upcoming weekend. And sure enough, uh, Jaco has published all the details online. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Steve, I know you are always excited about this particular event. Last time I saw, there were 90 plus people pre-registered already. Uh, I think today he said there was 102. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. So yeah. it's going to be huge in addition to awesome. What are your thoughts yeah. going into this year's event? So just some details, it, the event, it's a little bit different this year. Uh, the last couple of years, the last three years, it's always been a free entry. Just bring, mm-hmm. what, like booze or gifts <laughs> right. or toys or something for donation. I don't remember what we did the last couple of years. This year, there's an entry fee, and all the proceeds are going to a charity called the Cornerstone Community Outreach Program, which I think is for homeless youth. So that is awesome. Yeah, that's um, pretty sweet. Uh, there's a cap on the number of uh, players who can come. Um, and what is that cap? I think it's a hundred, uh, I don't remember, but it's a hundred, a hundred and some. Okay. Um, um, Kevin, what are you actually going to do Thursday? Well, I think I'm going to play trials. I have yeah. one buy already. And I think if I'm going to try and push for a strong run this year, it's in my interest to get practice, maybe get one more buy by, by going after the trials. So that's where I'm going to be. It, I wish it, we, it, I wish we had trials out this way. <laughs> I know. I understand. Um, the trials are going to be pretty competitive. I mean, I, I believe there will be a strong showing of oh, yeah. probably 50 to 80 people in some of the trials with, with good competition. So it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch, but uh, it'll, it'll be good for practice, too. I just want to be in a very uh, up-to-date, fresh mode of playing the, the day before. So, But that having been said, the old school event last year was a phenomenal time. I'm really glad that I did it. My record was lousy, and I still enjoyed the heck out of it, and I can't imagine it'll be any different this year. Jaco knows how to run a good show. He his prize support, which was you know from the bottom of his heart, was always a good thing and a good time. And almost everyone there was really there for the love of the format. Yes, awesome. So you're, there's going to be buys, and there's also going to be old school the rest of the weekend, right? So there'll be, I think, a big vintage event on Sunday, right? That coincides the, with the top eights. Yeah, basically every day there is in addition to whatever championship is going on on friday and saturday and then sunday of course there are basically large events for all the the major formats of those days as well thursday is is focused on trials there are vintage and legacy trials firing multiple throughout the day that looks like two of each yeah plus some sealed events draft and sealed friday is obviously the vintage champs but there are more um legacy trials that day and then there's this huge what they're calling the vintage rebound (laughs) 
a four <laughs> four round Swiss event that has double prizes if you played in champs. So if you scrub out of ah. champs and drop by two p.m., so you'll probably be three ish, four ish rounds in at that point. There's this rebound event which is specifically targeted at people who want to keep playing, and you get extra prizes if you if you do. So that's cool. There is a chaos draft and vintage bounty event that evening. The bounty being beat any former vintage champ for bonus points. That is really as well. Where yeah. is where is that? Where's that going to be? That's going to be in the main hall, six p.m. on the day of champs. I didn't. I don't think I got a note about that. So yeah, I don't know how so, they're promoting prior champions to play in that event. I haven't heard any yes, details that's what about I'm that. <laughs> but I am not a prior champion, so I can't say. But it's a similar story on Saturday for Legacy, right? Legacy Champs is on Saturday. There are large vintage events. There's a vintage trial. There's another bounty, vintage bounty event. And then there's a Legacy Rebound event. So they've structured both days very similarly. There's an old school event, both days, firing at noon. And then on Sunday, while the top eights play, there's more limited. There's actually a standard event, which is wild. (laughs) And then there's a, a challenge for both Legacy and Vintage in the afternoon with double prizes on Sunday too. So what you can even cool. if you don't do well in one or the other of the champs, you can still play your format of choice all day every day basically. Well, that would be I, that vintage bounty thing sounds I would if I scrubbed out of the main event, I would certainly consider playing that just to give people more fun. Yeah. Um absolutely. Th- Kevin, what about what just curious, what are you planning to do Saturday? Saturday I'm planning to be pre- preparing for my top 8 appearance. So <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> that notwithstanding, I, I really don't know. I mean, I'll I'll play it by ear. If one or, or either of us uh, are preparing for champs, then obviously you and I will be yes. subsumed by testing. But assuming that's not the case, then I will probably be checking out the dealer hall, getting some artist signatures because there are wicked artists again this year, as there always are. And yes. I don't know, maybe I'll play a vintage event, but maybe not. I might be a little burnt out. Depends on how deep of a run I can make in champs. If I'm burnt out, I don't think I yeah. want to play another event. Fair enough. But you and I will will almost assuredly be watching at least some of the top eight on Sunday. Either absolutely, as that's p- my participants, plan. participants or spectators. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be it, it'll be a great time. It always is. So to lead into our predictions for the whole metagame for Eternal Weekend, we want to take an archetype by archetype approach here. We want to talk about the best performing archetypes, how they've been performing recently, what the the salient versions are, and what you can expect at champs in terms of latest trends, what's doing the best, what people are expected to bring, and also how the um, the format and the the details of champs influence how a deck is represented. Yes, yes. So we've got a long ways to go, and we're gonna. The, the payoff is gonna be our our final statistical <laughs> prediction, <laughs> which I vividly remember doing last year, Kevin. I remember we had a pretty interesting wrap up where we held ourselves accountable. Um, so this is a you know, there's a lot of build up, but let's start with dread. Brian Kelly has called recently in the VSL chat. He says the best deck in the format. <laughs> <laughs> now, dredge is not the most prevalent or popular deck in the format. It's not even the deck that will have the most top eight appearances in general. 
But it is safe to say it's probably the boogeyman going into Vintage Champs this year. Don't you think so, Kevin? You can make a strong case for that. It is doing better this year leading up to Champs than it ever has before, I would say, on on paper. And the the metagame representation hasn't become dominant, I would say, using any of our traditional metrics. But the the individual performance is still very strong. So before we get into the specifics of what the dredge, dredge decks look like, Let's just point out that not only did Aaron Campbell, as we already said, you know, uh, 3-0 the VSL this week, which gives it a lot of prominent visibility, but she also won the Vintage Challenge, and Ryan Glacken, one who beat me in the finals of the NYSE this year, uh, also won the Eternal Extravaganza with it, which we mentioned, I think, in our last show, yep. right? So, so Dredge is the deck to beat in many respects. Let's start off before we looking at the, look at those decks. Kevin, what basically is the percentage of dredge in these? So let's start with the Vintage Challenge. Vintage Challenges, we have a lot of good data, again, thanks to our friends and frequent contributors to our data sets, uh, Matt Murray and Ryan Eberhardt. They compiled the uh, monthly ver- view of the latest challenges for September. Now, this doesn't include the, the most recent one that Aaron won, but overall, for that period of time, dredge is representing 6.8% of the metagame. The variance there goes from about 5% up to a peak of 11.4% in the, the 930 event. But an average, you know, the median point is, is 5, 6, 7%. You said 5, what's the percentage, the average median? The, the median is five, about 5%. There was an, a bit of an outlier on the 30th, which was 11.4% representation. But, but <laughs> yes. I mean, these, are, these events aren't that large. So you're talking about the difference between two and five people. So, I mean, read into that right. what you will. It's, it's about a 6 or 7% deck. Well, Kevin, uh, we don't, Matt and Ryan didn't do the breakdown for the most recent Vintage Challenge, which was uh, October the 7th. But there were four in the top, 32 reported deck lists, there were four dredge decks, which is 12.5%. So I think it's fair to say that we'll, that the dredge is on the upswing, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't you agree Definitely. with that? It's not it's not likely to be at the uh, the lower range that we saw for September, which was the range of, you put it, between 4.5% and 11.4%. Right. It's probably going to be at the upper end of that range. I will note, however, that two things about dredge that are relevant for the Vintage Championship. Number one, it's a deck you can play without power. Yep. Although you still have to own bazaar or borrow, <laughs> on the or borrow. On the other hand, there was in last year's event, dredge was only six point four percent of the metagame. Right. There were twenty two dredge decks. I expect that to be a lot larger. So we'll get into our specific predictions uh, later. But I I think it's going to be more than you know, like I said, at the upper end of the range that we've seen. Yeah. Now let's turn to the specific decks. And Kevin, I'd like to start with Ryan Glacken's deck. Would you like to introduce it? What we have here is Sun Titan Dredge, which is according to some people, but a lot of other people I think would call this Fate Stitcher Dredge, because those are the right. two salient features, right? He has right. a Fate Stitcher engine, which is an uncounterable way to activate Bazaar again on your main phase. With one with blue. With a single blue, yeah. yeah. He has three copies of Sun Titan to go with three Dread returns. So he's basically all in on activating Dredge a it's, lot of, um, activating Bazaar, I mean, it's a fast. lot of times here. It's it's fast. And then his, right. his Dread Return Victory Condition of choice is Flamekin Zealot. But there's one other huge feature. Okay, well, there are two others. There's one other huge feature of the main deck, and that is Ryan has gone back to something which is actually quite retro at this point, and that is casting spells. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is using mana to cast spells because he has Black Lotus, Lotus Petal, and Mox Sapphire, and Lion's Eye Diamond, with right. which to. Well, Lion's Eye Diamond, not so much, but. 
those are used to cast Ancestor Recall and or activate the Unearth ability on Fate, fate Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he has more ways to quickly unearth a Fate Stitcher. He can do it on turn one. He can he can Bizarre right. on one and then play one of those four mana artifacts and unearth a uh, Fate Stitcher, maybe more than one, because with Lotus or Lion's Eye Diamond, that could get into a chain of unearthing Fate Stitchers. And he could potentially win on turn one with this deck since he has the Flame Kinzelic kill. So it's right. pretty epic, and it could be very fast. Right. This deck is designed... I mean, essentially, this deck is going to kill you on turn two. Mm-hmm. Like, like, pretty very reliably. reliably. Very reliably. Uh, as long as it gets a turn one Bizarre and a Dredger in the graveyard uh, on that turn. Um, and so it's... this. You know, this is the Flamekin Zillot kill, kill, so it's it's pretty well known for most people. It's designed to bin uh, as many cards as possible, and then to use uh, the Dread Return. It has three Dread Returns, Usually it's going to get the Sun Titan first to get another Bazaar, and the second one will get the Flamekins a lot and finish you off. So this is a very fast kill. But what was most important, perhaps, about the deck is his sideboard plan. Mm-hmm. This is, I don't know if it's entirely adopted by everyone in the world. This is probably the new standard for how Dredge sideboards will be constructed for the near future, well, I would say. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, <laughs> but, but yes. But, but I think what's important about this sideboard is, well, go ahead, present well, it. Yeah. Ryan's sideboard. Three Gurmag Angler, four Hollow One, four Nature's Claim, four Serenity. Right. So, you know, we covered Hollow One a lot in our last podcast and our set review. I mean, in our um, previous set review. Um, and we predicted it would show up in, in Dredge Sideboards. But the critical point here is that not only has it shown up, um, but it appeared kind of first in this shell. That is this kind of speed dredge going, you know, attacking from a completely different angle. Right. And so online, Kevin, Kevin, I think up until this event online, I would say the most popular version of dredge had been pitch dredge, right. which had been dredge that uses force of will and misstep and often mind break trap. And usually the pitch dredge deck would sideboard, it, it, it would sideboard into uh, dark depths, hex mage, thespian mm-hmm. stage. Um, not usually, but often. Yeah. And, uh, when, I, when when Ryan broke this deck out and other people did well with it, it was interesting that you saw Hollow Angler, Hollow One and Gourmet Angler, but you didn't see it in the pitch version at first. So I was looking for that, <laughs> you know, and I was playing a lot on, on the challenges, not the challenges in the leagues. And I did every time I saw the pitch version, I was did never saw the Hollow One sideboard, and every time I saw the versions that weren't pitch, I saw the Hollow One sideboard. Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of a one to one relationship there. But that all changed, yeah. And that all changed to you know, it's hard to pinpoint who did these things first. But one of the first points I saw, I think, uh, places where I saw this change was in one of the vintage challenges on the the September 30th vintage challenge is where I saw all of this change. Vegan Toad 42 uh, got sixth place with uh, a pitch dredge deck, meaning it has four missteps and two mind break traps main deck. Although Kevin, he doesn't have any forces. Hmm. This person does not have any forces, but this person has three Gourmet Angler in the sideboard and four Hollow One. And so again, you know, I'm looking for like Amalgam, right? When I look, see Prize Amalgam, I assume it has forces. Right. Uh, but you usually don't see the Hollow One Angler sideboard package in the pitch list. So this is the, I would say the middle step between Ryan's deck and what Aaron eventually won with. And Aaron's, I think, is kind of the apotheosis of this archetype in, in it synthesizes the pitch dredge version with the Gurmag hollow one sideboard plan. And 
one has to kind of wonder if we're going to start seeing hollow ones in the main deck at this <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but anyway, it might be good uh, anyway, enough for that. It might be. But anyway, what she did and she has is four forces main deck, four missteps main deck, and four prized amalgam. Uh, and then again the and four mindbreak traps in the sideboard. But she has four hollow one and three Gurmag angler. So what that means is that she's cracked the code right to figure out how you cram all these things together <laughs> i don't i don't know what the answer is but she figured it out <laughs> <laughs> now this deck does not have flamekin zealot it has dragonlord kolagon mm-hmm. is a finisher which makes it very difficult for opposing decks to win when it's in play right so it's very similar yeah very similar and for those of you who may be interested in the differences between zealot and Colagon, there have been a number of mathematical uh, elaborations on that front in terms of what scenarios make one preferable to the other. It, without going into too much detail, there's kind of a pivot point in the number of zombies you have that pushes one in front yes. of the other, but also there are certain uh, key value plays with regard to Colagon that, uh, that revolve around the flying that Colagon provides. So Right. So what? So what is? Let's dig into that. Tell me what you think those trade-offs are. Obviously, it doesn't give your creatures a boost, but it does give them haste, like Flame Cannon. Right. So it, both of them give your creatures haste. Dragonlord Colagon is a larger creature at six five than yeah than is the Flamekin Zealot, <laughs> which is only a two two. Flamekin Zealot right. says enters the battlefield. Creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain haste. So the Zealot itself becomes a three three. All of your zombies become three threes. So obviously. Part of the pivot point is how many creatures do you expect to have? Because with us, with okay, by themselves, Flamekin Zealot hits for three, Colagon hits for two. You add in a single zombie, then Flamekin hits for six. I said, sorry, I'm sorry, I said Colagon hits for six before. You add in a single zombie to each equation, and then it's three plus three for the Zealot, and it's six plus two for Colagon. You see where this is going, right? So once yes. you get up to three <laughs> zombies, then Colagon is hitting for six plus six, which is 12. And right. Flamekin Zealot is hitting for 3 plus 3 plus 3 plus 3, which is 12. Once you add that fourth zombie in, Flamekin Zealot does more damage. So it gets better. That's right. Yeah. Then you have to factor in the fact that Flamekin Zealot has no evasion, so it gets blocked by basically everything. Whereas Colagon has flying and can fly over a lot of things in Vintage. So the presence of things like Young Pyromancer in the format make a difference. The presence of Planeswalkers in general make a difference because Colagon is just better if you're expecting to not just win the game that same turn. Colagon gives you more options. <laughs> what happens if you could red return both Colagon and Elish Norn? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something special. That's, I mean, that's a living the dream there. But I, I think we, we don't need to get into all the fine and minute examples. Some people have cited Moat as a as a reason to choose Colagon. That's pretty rare at this t- stage, but Blue White yeah. Land still is still a thing. And so there there are certainly advantages one way or the other. Another factor is the presence of Prized Amalgam, as we talked about in Aaron's list, means that Dragonlord Colagon already has larger, slightly larger creatures to work with. So if you're right. swinging with a couple so of, of those plus the Colagon, the damage it adds up just as fast, or not, if not faster. Super interesting. So I think what that means in practice is that you're probably more likely to face what Aaron has been doing well with, not only because it's the more recent list, but because I think it represents the the most up-to-date technology. I think that's fair. But but I could be completely wrong, and we will find out, won't we? We absolutely will. I think it's fair to say, if you play against Dredge in Champs, you ought to, you ought to be prepared for Hollow One at the very least. Gurmag yes. Angler, slightly less so. I mean, it's not a, it's not quite as certain that you could build lists in the sideboard without it. 
but I would be very surprised if there wasn't a one-to-one relationship between Hollow Ones and Dredge players in, in Vintage Champs this year. I think one of the challenges in combating both both Hollow One and Grimag Angler is that a lot of the cards that will deal with one won't deal with the other. Mm-hmm. So you can abrade a Hollow One, but you, that's not going to do anything about Grimag Angler. Yep, it's a good example. Right. And it's one of the reasons why Jeskai remains, I think, one of the, the predominant blue-based decks is just because Swords to Plowshares is still so omnipurpose. Yeah. Um, Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to say about Dredge? I think I think Dredge is going to be a big player. I I'm I would be shocked if Dredge did not make top eight. Although I do expect to see a lot of Dredge hate. But again, the problem is balancing your hate with your removal. Yes. Um, Make sure that your hate does not just lose to a turn one Hollow One or a turn two Gurmag Angler. Right. So you need to you need to keep in your your removal to some to some degree. The the interesting, I think one of the interesting things about the pitch list is that just as a kind of tip or tactic that I've encountered, you know, one thing that, that you typically do when you're playing against dredge is you want to play your dredge hate as quickly as possible. And the ideal case, it's, it's on turn zero with Leyline of the Void, mm-hmm. right? But one thing I've discovered is because the pitch dredge decks do not have unmask, uh, let's, and, um, you know, Unmask was not, again, not something that Ryan Glacken played with. But I have seen it in some of the dredge decks online. But the pitch lists generally don't play Unmask, right, Kevin? Generally not. It's uh, just too, it's too many mean- spells. Right, it's too many spells. Which means that I've actually found it to be better, if you're on the play uh, against dredge, play a cantrip, try and find like a force of will or a misstep before playing your anti-dredge card. Uh, because, you know, they're going to be using their bizarre... Their bizarre does give them a chance a, a chance to find more counter magic, but it's really hard, you know, if they bizarre to keep all their counter magic in hand. I don't think it's you know it's just that you've got to you've got to get things going, you know, especially if they've got a turn. Um, so I, I actually think it's the better play to lead with a cantrip to try and find protection, even if you could like run out a, a graph diggers cave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the better play to play like a preordain to try and find a force and a misstep so that you can play it on turn two again on the play to protect. But that's just my experience. That's totally reasonable. And I would say for those of you who are preparing for dredge, take a look at the best performing dredge lists from the top few recent challenges, the top 16 or so of those events. Take a look at the associations of cards as we've alluded to. So Steve, you described the fact that the force of will and unmask are generally not in the same list. I think that's a good, that's a good thing to point out. So if you get unmasked in game one, Odds are this isn't a pitch dredge list. Also, there are other key giveaways. One of them, I think, is the presence of Urborg. If you see Urborg Term of Yogmoth, that is definitely an indicator that Dark Depths is coming out of the sideboard. Yes, you need to be prepared for that. Uh, And and that means means that you need to be able to win at instant speed against someone developing a dark... um, a 2020 flying uh, Cthulhu, <laughs> right? Exactly. Which means you'll need like Plow or Echoing Truth or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So keep those kind of things in mind about when they play this, they generally don't play that and vice versa. Kevin, do you want to make a prediction of just, I'm not going to ask you this for each of the archetypes, but why don't you go ahead and tell me how much dredge you think is going to actually appear in the in the metagame? I think that what you said before is, is roughly correct. The average we've seen in September for the challenges comes out to comes out to 7%, but I think it will be closer to the peak of that range, which went from 5 to 11%, basically, because Dredge is a budget deck, within reason, of course, 
more people can play that than can play the average fully powered deck. <clears throat> and because it's on the uptick and because it generally does, you know, has a little bit higher showing at champs than it did in the environment leading up to it, all those things together, I'd say it's going to push eight to 10%. You want to give a specific, you want to give a range and then a specific number. You said eight to 10%. Do you want to give me a specific number in that range just for notational yeah, I th- <laughs> historical purposes? I think, I think I'm going to stick with 8%. But that's just because, as we're going to discuss throughout this throughout this whole coverage of of our predictions, there are a lot of factors pushing a lot of decks up and down in in the champs metagame and in the in yeah. recent events. So I don't expect I don't expect dredge to be the thing that kind of doubles up year over year, goes from five to ten percent, or six to ten percent. Yeah. I think that right around eight percent is is probably it. You know, I I'm going to take the over for sure, yeah. and I I just can't shake the feeling that this is going to be. There's going to be a lot of dredge in the field, and not only that, but there are going to be a lot of dread dread ringers who are very excited about bring, breaking it out, and then a lot of people who are going to be looking for bazaars so they can play dredge just to be able to play in the vintage championship and have a chance of winning mm-hmm. it. So I, I think it's going to be honestly, I think it, I think the floor is like nine percent on dredge. I think it's going to be probably actually eight percent is the floor. I think it's going to be. I think it, we could even see twelve, thirteen percent dredge. Okay, honestly. I, I think it's probably going to be about ten. I'm going to go. I'm going to go ten and a half percent. All right. Awesome. So I'm going to mark that note. Make a note of that right here. So that does it for dredge. We're going to do a similar discussion for other archetypes, but there won't be quite as much fireworks for every archetype, just because dredge is kind of on fire lately. <laughs> Let's talk next about Jeskai. Jeskai, which goes by a couple of different names depending on who you ask, right? So we're talking about mentor or some people call it solo delver solo mentor yeah some people are referred to it as delver depending on the creature construction and some people just refer to it as blue control depending on who you ask also uh ryan and matt have come to call it xerox to cover yeah, the refer- all of the preordained <laughs> cantrip based decks that are base blue uh which is also a reasonable grouping so we're talking about all of those concepts at once basically but but i do want to draw a, a, a dark line between Jeskai and Blue-Red Delver. Now, I know that Jeskai Delver is a thing, and it straddles that line, but I do think there's a pretty significant difference between the Blue-Red Delver lists that have Lightning Bolts and Harsh Mentors and similar things than the Jeskai lists that are running more, that are running Swords to Plowshares, Stony Silence, and things like Jace Vrin's Prodigy, that kind of thing. So, so we're, we're talking about Turbo Xerox decks with an emphasis on, on Jeskai or just Turbo Zero Optics writ large? Uh, let's start with just the Jeskai. Okay. Well, it's interesting. There were zero Jeskai decks in the t- in the top 16 in Eternal Stravaganza. Mm-hmm. Zero. So it's not like that's, you know, a big performing deck there. Um, in the last Vintage Challenge, um, there were uh, the the highest placing Jeskai deck was not really a Jeskai deck. It was a four cult. Uh, sorry, it was a not Jeskai at all, in fact. <laughs> So, you know, that type of, in other words, the highest performing Turbo Turbo Xerox deck was actually blue, red, green, but it was um, not Delver. Gotcha. So, Kevin, the highest, so from Eternal Extravaganza to the Vintage Challenges, in the most recent Vintage Challenge, the highest placing Jeskai deck was ninth place. And it looks very much like we've seen Rich Shea play in the last couple months, where it's it eschews Young Pyromancer and has a Seeker of the Way, Monastery Mentor, and multiple Snapcaster Mage. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also has 2Jace the Mind Sculptor, which is what Eric Froelich played in the uh, VSL. So this deck has not really done very well compared to the other Turbo Xerox decks in the sense of there aren't a lot in the top eights here. It's mostly the, the, the top performing Turbo Xerox decks are either, if you want to call it Hank Zhang's deck, four color or three color with green um, or just Delver. Um, do you have an, a list, a better performing list from a previous event? I'm looking at the top eight of the event and from the 30th, and it doesn't look like there's a Jeskai deck in the top eight there either. Kevin? I would say, yeah, I would say the one from the challenge on the seventh by a natural death that, I just yeah, that you just mentioned is, is probably the standard that I would point to. Jace Rin's Prodigy, the one mentor, uh, Snapcaster's Mages, the Stony Silence, the, um, the flexible slots of Seeker of the Way, Snapcaster Mage, and similar creatures, maybe Young Pyromancers, etc. That's the kind of list I'm envisioning when I envision this archetype. And I believe that it will be pretty popular at Champs this year, even though it's not really dominating of late. I, I, I think that you're overestimating the percentage of Jeskai. I think it's going to be much more Turbo Xerox as a class. Okay. And I mean, so just looking at these top eights, Frankly, the the as I said, the um, Delver deck, the Delver deck is pretty standardized at this point, actually. So it's pretty easy to identify. I think the mm-hmm. most standard of the Delver lists are four Delvers, three Pyromancer, and then uh, a pair of Snapcaster Mage. The September 30th um, Vintage Challenge has a 13th place list that pretty much looks like it. Um, you know, and they it has um, that exact, almost that exact creature configuration. Right. But it has like Spell Pierce and you know the four wastelands and Null Rod because obviously it doesn't have white. Naturally, um, I think that I think that deck is going to be a big chunk of the Turbo Xerox decks. Um, and more I think popular than Jeskai. I don't know if it'll be more popular, but it's certainly more uh, higher performing here. Yeah. I don't know if we can do do a actual breakdown, but um, we don't have it's you know it's yeah hard. we don't have the data yeah. to do a breakdown a distinction between the two. So going by the September challenges as a whole, the Xerox category, which is sorry, we don't have a breakdown for, was 20.5%. So that is the kind of summation I'm envisioning as a target point for all of the Jeskai yes. plus Delver. However, there's one caveat to that, and this is one of the things I was alluding to when I talked about I don't think that the bump in dredge can be very high. <laughs> That's because there are a handful of decks, I would call a trio of decks, that get a boost at chance yes. because they can be built budget-wise and Delver is one of those three, like Dredge That's is. A good point. Delver can yeah. be even more budget than Dredge if you simply don't play with the power. Uh, it's a pretty big jump in power, unfortunately. But I know there will be a couple percentage points of people who just bring Legacy Delver to champs. They've been doing it for years. Yes. So that. And I should I should mention also Delver got ninth place at Eternal Extravaganza. Yeah. It was the highest. Yeah. So. so it could be that Delver, the blue-red versions with actual Delver of Secrets in them, are actually putting up a little bit better results lately than Jeskai. I believe that Jeskai will still be more popular because I think it's going to be the more popular choice among fully-powered players. However, yeah, I think the two of them are going to hit that and exceed that 20% mark when taken together. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that. I think it's interesting. It is interesting that these decks are all over the place. I mean, the 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 cycle that we pointed out just in September, it went from 9.8% at one point of the metagame to 31.8% mid-September and then fell to 18.2% the following week. Hmm. Um, That's a pretty wide range. Let me range. give you, it, it really is. It's a huge, it's a wide range. 
um, it's hard to know exactly what they mean by preordain. You know, by by I'm um, sorry, by um, Xerox t- Turbo Xerox Xerox. But well, you have to in the top, you have to believe that ninety to ninety five percent of that category is Just Guy or Blue Red Delver, right? There's not too much. There's yeah, not too or, many exceptions. Or Just Guy or Just Guy plus plus the fourth color, like yeah, Rain, sure, like Hang Zong sure. played. So in the in the um or or like the the blue red green deck that I mentioned that got placed right. by the pow- by the the power nine <laughs> but, in the last right challenge. but those lists are a distant third and fourth and fifth place from the top two right yep. yes so there were there like I said the Delver Delver was also in the there was a Delver deck in seventh place in the last power nine which made so there were two tur- turbo Xerox decks in the top eight of the last power nine challenge neither one of them was Jeskai. Mm-hmm. But there was there was the ninth place one. So Kevin, in the last Power Nine challenge, there were only four Turbo Xerox decks in the top thirty-two, which is twelve and a half percent. Wow, that's pretty low. So that's that's way yeah, that's much lower. So there's a big decline from the end of September. Uh, that's for Turbo Xerox decks altogether, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's not counting like bug decks, which play maybe four preordained in some cases in wastelands because right. those aren't really that Turbo Xerox decks. Right. Well, that's a, so that's, that's a little surprising to me. I still expect champs to have a larger representation of blue red delver plus Jeskai than that by a long shot. I so what do you think? What you know? We've talked about the different configurations um, and what's happening. People are very familiar with this deck sure. type, so you know what sure. it is. It generates tokens, or it, it generates a lot of card advantage and uses you know the what we call the gut the DAC delve draw engine or the blue stew <laughs> of treasure cruise and in in dig through time and gush. Um, Kevin, do you have a sense of what over? So, give me a prediction. What do you think the overall percentage of this is going to be? Turbo Xerox. I think the total, not yeah, just guy. I think just the, the total Xerox category is going to be in the low twenties. I don't. I don't think it's going to hit twenty-five. I think the floor is the high teens. I think the floor is eighteen or nineteen percent. But I'm going to call twenty-three percent in total. And I think I think that breaks down into fifteen percent just guy and eight percent Delver. So your overall is twenty three percent for Turbo Xerox. I'm going to go way under. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be sixteen or seventeen percent. So I'm going to say sixteen point five percent. Okay. I think this the 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 ceiling is probably twenty three. The floor is probably like thirteen percent, twelve and a half percent, like we just saw. Wow. So I think yeah. I mean just you know I mean just because it's there aren't a lot in the top eights recently. So well, you know what, what do you make of the September results though? I mean as a whole in September that well, grouping averaged. Twenty and a half percent. But again, that was Turbo Xerox, and that was a lot of a lot of Delver. Well, but isn't that the category we're predicting here, Turbo Xerox? That you just said sixteen and a half for? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But but you you have just guy at fifteen percent. I think that's where the error. Is. Oh well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm basically saying I think it's going to be about eight percent just guy, eight percent Delver. Okay. Something like that. Well, that's fair. Yeah. All right then. I just think you're overestimating specifically the percentage of just guy. One of the things we know about champs, and, and we'll, we're not skipping archetypes here, but one of the things we know about champs is that it has a little bit of an overrepresentation of big blue decks. There's always someone <laughs> for yes. the last ten years going strong. Yes. There's always <laughs> someone who brings Bob, Jace Bob control, basically, or you know the various Tinker decks, various Grixis deck, Jace decks, that kind of thing, Key Vault decks. It's always a little more represented at champs than it is in the average metagame leading up to it. And so I think some of those numbers might come from where Just Guy would normally have been. Right. I agree. Well, where would you like to go next? You can pick the next one. So, Kevin, let's go to workshops now, which, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll tack on Eldrazi with it. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about, so you, you want to you talk about the whole taxing 
subcategory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll start with shops. And boy, there's a lot here. I think it's pretty clear. So the the top, the most popular decks are going. I mean, archetypes broadly speaking, are going to be taxing, paradoxical outcome, and zero. Um, and I think I think shops is going to be the most popular. Do you agree with that? Yes, I would say as a whole, workshops will be the single most. Okay, single is kind of a strange word, but the workshop decks will be the largest single archetype. I think in terms of number, the taxing category will probably be the largest category unless you right. count <clears throat> unless you lump all the blue control decks in right. under big right. blue then they're always <laughs> obviously the largest category <clears throat> but in, by the distinctions we make i think workshops are number one taxing is number one so i want to start with last year's vintage championship and then we'll go to the recent decks last year's vintage championship was extremely anomalous because there was only kevin you might not remember this but there were only 11.7 percent of the metagame shops yeah it's bizarre. When I looked at that number in studying, prepping for this show, I thought, "Really? Did I? Yeah. Did I have some kind of some kind of fever dream about champs last year? Because it felt well, like I shops think, was everywhere." <laughs> I think shops was like half the top eight, right? Well, yeah, shops and Eldrazi, and and I played. As you re- recall, I played like eight of my nine matches where shops are Eldrazi, right? So and yeah, <laughs> and four or five of mine were that as well. So that's partly explained by the fact that while shops is only twelve percent of the the entire metagame eldrazi was 18.1 percent so put it all together right. and you had almost 30 percent shop slash eldrazi taxing taxing right mm-hmm. this year we'll get to the predictions in a second but you don't have to look very far to find an insanely well-performing workshop deck so <laughs> no, everywhere you look in fact so, yeah so let's start with paper kevin so the two really stand out there was four there are four shop decks at the Eternal Extravaganza top eight. It was half the damn top eight. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, now, three of them are called Ravager Shops, and one of them is called Foundry Shops. So I want to spend a, a second looking at them, and then we'll take a look at the recent performing in, 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 online. Okay? Right. So the second place deck by Michael Scheffenecker, an old-time player that we played, actually when shops just became a thing <laughs> um, for the old Origins days, he played four Ravager four Foundry Inspector, uh, four Revoker, four Walking Ballista, but and he had a pair of Hangerback Walker, two Chief of the Foundry, three Phyrexian Metamorph, and three Precursor Golem. And then almost all these decks have the, you know, Chalice, Sphere, Thorn, Trinisphere, and then, you know, Factory, right. Wastelands, Shops. Right. So so this, this list is, you know, as I said, Ravager, Ballista, Revoker, and Foundry Inspector are kind of like the, the the foundation of the workshop aggro deck right now. Mm-hmm. I want to spend a second on found. What does Foundry Inspect uh, Chief of the Found uh, fa- rather Foundry Inspector do? Someone on the Manadrain asked, "Can someone please explain what the heck is going on with workshops?" <laughs> it is notable that the top performing workshop players are pretty quiet about what they're doing with their deck right now. That's understandable, right? I mean, right. you don't want to you know share your tech. But what is notable is that almost all the creatures in the deck right now cost two mana at base. Mm-hmm. Right, and so Foundry Inspector off a of workshop. If you have a, a mo- essentially a workshop and a mox, Foundry Inspector becomes a, a little bit of a weaker lodestone golem in the sense that you play the shop and the inspector, and then you play an artifact, a, a mox, and then you can play either Sphere Thorn or Chalice if you have it. And if you don't have one of those, then you can play any of the other two mana creatures that you have. You can play Ravager, you can play Ballista, you can play Revoker. You know, and those are all really good plays, right? So, mm-hmm. and in fact, if you go shop, 
Mox, uh, Foundry Inspector, uh, Revoker, <laughs> it's just about as good as a as a lodestone golem. So um, anyway, it's extremely aggressive and extremely hard to deal with. And it's worth noting too that. It's not just cost reduction, but there are two there are two common creatures in the deck in Ballista and Hangerback Walker that both scale, scale. up. Scale. So yes. the fact that it produces mana even in the mid game when you've got I don't know six or seven mana normally, the additional mana from it can be the difference between another counter on one of those cards. So what I would say is that in general the the archetype has skewed a very aggressive with a lot of low to the ground creatures and then with cards creatures that scale so when you build up your mana they become insane and then the top two of the top four uh shop decks also had three per- precursor golem mm-hmm. which just shows how much tempo this deck is oriented and right. also i think explains why sorcerer spyglass is not seeing a lot of play in these decks it's because these decks are just trying to win as quickly as possible with tempo um now chief of the foundry is chief of the foundry is kind of the flip side of it where I've seen a lot of Steel Overseer. Montolio played me online, and he was playing Steel Overseer, which I think is, I think he might have been actually using Chief of the Foundry and Steel Overseer, which is yet another one of those two mana creatures, Kevin. <laughs> that yep. that you you know. So if you go like turn one workshop, even if you don't have a Mox, turn one workshop uh, Foundry Inspector. Then on turn two, you can basically empty your hand with two two mana creatures. You can play a Ravager. Right. You can play a Ravager, a Chief of the Foundry, a Ballista, and a Revoker. <laughs> <laughs> And that you damage know, adds up fast, especially oh with god. the Ravager Ballista combo. Oh my god. Yeah, if you if you go turn one uh Foundry Inspector, turn two, let's say factory, and then you play all the four creatures I just mentioned, that's lethal next turn, just about. So yep. <laughs> especially with Ravager and uh, Ballista combo to finish you off. So um that deck is insane. I, I think honestly, it, Matt Murray has said he thinks that's the best performing deck in the format, not close. Yeah. In terms of We'll get to the win percentages in a second, um, but I just wanted to kind of give an overview of what that deck looks like. The um, it is the the, um, the seventh place deck from Eternal Extravaganza is a little bit different in that he goes all in on his four precursor golem and he his foundry inspector four foundry inspector four chief of the foundry does not have the ravager ballista combo, so that's an outlier. Um, does have four null rod right? Um, so we'll we'll talk about shops with null rod in a second, but I want to just first finish. Focusing on these kind of Ravager type aggressive type decks. Um, the the eighth place listed Eternal Extravaganza has the third Hangerback Walker, um, and it has zero precursor main deck. Uh, so he's just kind of like no, sorry, it's four precursor main deck. Uh, what does he sh- cut? Um, it's got four Ravager, two Chief of the Foundry, four ha- Foundry Inspector, three Hangerback, one Lodestone, two Metamorph. So he shaved a Metamorph. Um, so the Metamorph is, I guess, pretty good at copying. I mean, it's insane on precursor Golem, right? But it's primarily there for copying thorns and spheres, I would say, in my experience. And as a role player in a number of matchups, Metamorph lets you pay three mana for something that your opponent paid more mana for in the mirror, right? Right. If, if your opponent plays, uh, uh, I mean, you said Precursor Golem already, but I would draw the distinction between copying yours and copying your opponents. When you copy your opponents, you get a much better value. Also, as we know, Metamorph is just a, a kind of a cure-all for certain Tinker targets <laughs> in Vintage yeah. and helps you against Oath as well. So so turning now to online, the most recent Vintage Challenge, of course, as we mentioned, is the one from October 7th. The second place list that Aaron Campbell defeated in the finals is pretty much a standard Foundry Inspector Ravager deck, except there's, um, I'll just read you the creature configuration, four Ravager, four Foundry Inspector, three Hangerback Walker, one Lodestone Golem, one Revoker, sorry, four Revoker, four Precursor, four Precursor Golem, and four Ballista with the 
uh, quote unquote lock package of one chalice, one crucible, four four sphere, three tangle wire, one thorn of amethyst, and one trinisphere. So a little bit different in that it's got tangle wire, which we don't see a lot of in these decks, and it doesn't have any it doesn't have any of the metamorph. He's gone, and it has, doesn't have any steel uh, overseer or uh, chief of the fountain. So it's just more streamlined. There's one other key feature of that list. The Crucible interacts with the three Ghost Quarter. Yes. <laughs> which are there in place of Mishra's Factory. Yes, good point. But I, I'd say that's an outlier. If you want to see a, a really representative deck, though, Montolio in sixth place is playing four Steel Overseer. So he's got four Ravager, four Chief of the Foundry, four Foundry Inspector, one Lodestone Golem, two Metamorph, four Revoker, four Overseer, and four Ballista. And he has no or Tangle Wire. So that's the kind of all-in, low-to-the-ground, right? He even has yep. two Sun Legionnaire in the side and two Boilers. So, that's full-on full 16 two-drops, basically, in that yes. list. It really maximizes uh, the power of uh, Chief of the Foundry. Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. no, sorry, Foundry Inspector. Well, so, both, both, honestly. Yes, both. <laughs> the Chief of the Foundry also, because this, yes. is the, this is the largest number of creatures of any modern workshop deck. Yes, because it totally yes. eschews tangle wire, yeah, and it has full four, um, four foundry inspector and four chief of the foundry and the four overseer. And so the this only thing this deck doesn't have, which is an issue in the mirror, I would argue, is um, is precursor hanger. golem. It also doesn't have hangerback. Also walker. doesn't have hangerback walker. Yeah, which, those. So the the, but, the absence of those two cards means that you have to know what you're doing in the mirror to play because your trump then is basically steel overseer. I didn't say this, but Foundry Inspector is also unbelievable mirror because it means <laughs> it means that you know all you even if they wasteland your shop, all you need is one land to be able to start <laughs> deploying your two mana your two mana creature. So that's a very good point. So it's it. I would say that just this brief review when i haven't even finished my review suggests that the anchor of the of the shop deck right now is frankly foundry inspector i, I think it's probably even more of an anchor than rabbit or ballista i mean ballista is the, probably the most tactically important creature but it, it it's less foundational in some sense to the deck you know in, in the sense I, that the synergy yeah. go ahead now, i would say another way to put what you're saying is you could probably do some very deep analysis using magic online data to look at the presence of certain cards proximate to victory. Yes. <laughs> and I think, I think you might find the highest correlation with foundry inspector and victory out of it, all the, the standard it, creatures in the entire format. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could be entire, in the entire format. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point one other thing. So the previous vintage challenge which was on September 30th on October 1st, the first place deck Budakov won the event with four ravager, four inspector, Three Hangerback, one Lodestone Golem, four Revoker, four Precursor Golem, and four Ballista. So I suspect that's slightly more popular. The Precursor Golem version is probably slightly more popular than the Montolio deck that's all in on two mana creatures. But mm -hmm. but Montolio is knows what the heck he's doing. I mean, he did top eight. He top eighted the last Vintage Championship. Yep. And, with uh, workshops. With workshops. So yeah, expect to see those things appearing, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, expect to see that. Now, I did want to draw attention to a couple of other things. There are some shop decks. So shops are everywhere. We're going to tell you how, exactly how much. But there have been some shop decks that have been appearing. There was a second place deck uh, in the, the the week that I just mentioned that was much more controlling that used Mirage Mirror, which got a lot of play. But I think was more important was the Sorcerer's Spyglass. Mm -hmm. And then there was another list um, more recently, Kevin, by Blue Diamonds that went 5-0 in one of the uh, leagues. It, it, it had only nine creatures. It was four Revoker, one Worm Coil Engine, three Metamorph, and Lodestone Golem. 
It had is its lock package, three crucible, one ensnaring bridge, three null rod, four smokestack, four sorceress spyglass, and four sphere resistance, including and thorn and trinisphere. <laughs> so so this deck looks a little bit like reminds me a little bit of what um uh Jacob Corey got second place with at last year's vintage championships. Don't you think so? Absolutely. That was the first thing I thought of, actually. And Jacob's performance was surprising. Not to say that it was surprising what he did. It was surprising that that archetype did as well as it did last year in a field full of shops. It's hard to pilot a prison-style archetype in this world filled with workshop aggro. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But I think he hung his hat on both Nullrod and Ensnaring Bridge which do a yes. lot of damage against against those decks. Mm-hmm. Now, the, I agree. Di- the difference is that we're in a world of Ballista now because Ballista came in in January. Yeah. I don't know whether that makes the Null Rod better or worse, but it is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difference, and I would say if you are very confident and practiced and purposeful in what you're doing, I think there's a place for this archetype still. It takes guts, it takes knowledge and preparation, so it will be definitely the minority of the workshops you see at champs but i would be i would watch out for anyone who's who's playing smokestack against you right so um kevin i want to shift to the numbers now and i want to point something out so um we already mentioned the numbers for workshops at last year's vintage championship in the september challenges unlike most of the archetypes the range of shop decks was pretty remarkably consistent I mean, it was it, incredibly narrow. It, it was basically, I mean, just to read it out, 22 22%, 23.8%, 20.8%, 22.7%, 22.7%. So it was essentially entirely, the, the, the lowest was yeah. 20, 20%, the most 20.8%. Tw- the the 22.4 is the average, by the way. So, so 22.4 is the average. Yeah. So that's a remarkably narrow, narrow band. But in the top 32 decks reported from October 7th, uh, uh, October 7th workshops were 28. One percent of the top thirty. So there's been a bump. Well, yeah, I mean that sounds like a bump. We've only got the top thirty-two, of course. They're, they're, the rest of the data could have no workshops in it, but it's still indicative of the fact that workshops are still going quite well. Yes. Over the course of it's, this is one thing we alluded to earlier. Over the course of all of September's challenges, that's five events, twenty-two point four percent. But workshops were by far the best performing deck yes. in terms of match win percentage, so which was fifty-nine percent. Yes, fifty-nine percent for all five events. That's crazy. <laughs> the lowest match win percentage it had was fifty-five and a half for a particular event. Which, which is why Matt said it's the best performing deck. Right. Right. So Workshop may not have won Eternal Extravaganza, but it was half of the top eight. Half. It may not have won the latest Vintage Challenge, but it's still well represented. And and over the long term, it is still definitely the best and most reliable deck. Yeah, it's there's a good chance Shops is just going to win this tournament, this Vintage Championship. You know, yeah. I, I just think- I won't be surprised if there are four Shop decks in the top eight again. Yeah, I know. God, that would be. But it is interesting that in our podcast after the restriction, Kevin. You and I both predicted where would shops fall after the yep. restriction. It was like, what was it, like 40% almost? And do you remember what we predicted? We said the floor was about 22%, which right. is exactly where it's fallen. <laughs> so, and there's always a dip after a restriction. So, sure. So, and we thought, we, we, I think we both predicted that it would settle around 30%, somewhere around there. Yeah. Twenty-five to thirty was yeah, the range, and right. I don't remember the exact number I said at the time. But we'll we'll go back on that when we do our next full metagame update. Yeah. So, Kevin, given all this information, not just looking at one particular version of shops, what percentage of the metagame do you think is going to be shops? 
This is an interesting one. I I don't want to say that every deck is going to get more popular than its representation in the format. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that it's tricky to use online data to predict paper nope. shops. No question. Because we know there are incentives one way or the other to play the deck. I personally know, this is anecdotal, I personally know a lot of people who are heavily inclined to play shops. Yes. Some of them will always play shops. Yes. <laughs> Some of them are just heavily incentivized to play it and will <laughs> likely play it. But that's but that's anecdotal. And that's, I mean, that's, I'm only representing a, a small percentage of the, the whole field at Champs. So I feel like the floor on shops is what the challenges have had as an average, that's basically. True. That's true. That's yeah. pretty scary, actually, if that's the floor. <laughs> I feel like 22% is, it, it probably won't be any lower than that. I agree. I'm inclined to predict a little higher, so I'm going to go with 26%. That's yeah. a lot higher, I know, but I mean, I just feel yeah. like they're, it's really popular. It's doing well. A lot of people want to bring their A game to champs. And a lot of people who might not have played shops before are going to look into the results and say, look, I, I think this beats everything, so I'm going gonna, gonna to play it. I think that a lot of the best vintage players are going to, I think like Rich Shea is going to play shops. He's been playing shops a lot recently. I think a lot of people like that, I wouldn't be surprised if like Brian DeMars and Paul Mastriano and Hiromichi Ito, who did well with yep. shops two years ago, if they all roll in with shops again. Yep. Um, and, and that's on top of the shop, quote unquote, shop experts like Nick Dijon and Michael Scheffenaker and uh yep. you know keith Grimm and you know all the northeastern ohio guys you know you know all those people i, I am inclined i think the floor is probably the one thing that gives me pause is how low shops was last so sure I, i'm inclined to think the floor is probably like 20 percent, but i think the ceiling is probably something like honestly probably like 29 30 percent is like the ceiling and that that's encompassing like you know just the restriction of actually getting four missions shops for a paper event you know i think yeah i agree with you i think we need to start talking about aldrazi some more though we will we'll get because, to that in just a second i have I, well I, we, I have we started this whole yeah we started this whole grouping as a shops aldrazi kind of hybrid but we've gotten away from that i have i have a transition but i just want to <laughs> nail down our shops number okay. first I'm, I, that's totally fair keeping in mind the aldrazi number is as have a, a yes. relationship to the shops number totally got it so, so you you're you're going you're going with what twenty two and a half? I think I'm I think I'm gonna go. So I I just articulate a floor of like twenty twenty one percent and a ceiling of like twenty nine percent. I think it's gonna be, I think I'm gonna go twenty three and a half. I think I'm gonna okay. go twenty three and a half. Um, I, I I feel pretty good about that. It could be twenty four twenty five. I think it's gonna be right around there. Um, but here's the transition. Here's what I want to point out. <laughs> All right. Uh, the the rumors of White Aldrazi's demise have been greatly exaggerated. This Spanish player, I believe is Spanish, Espion Trianero, has done extremely well. He's like got four or five uh, Vintage Challenge 5 and 0s with White Eldrazi. But here's the problem with Eldrazi. Mm -hmm. If you go into the data that Matt and um, Ryan have put together, shop Eldrazi and all the variants very badly against Workshop. Really? Yeah. I, that probably has a lot to do with the trend we previously discussed about workshops being more low to the ground more creature centric than they ever have been yes i think that's exactly because, it they're more aggressive than ever and also whereas thalia as a 2-1 first striker used to be very good against revokers and foundry inspectors and ravagers it got a lot less good in the ballista world and also a lot less good in the steel overseer foundry or chief of the foundry world as soon as those so other creatures start getting another point or two of toughness Thalia gets outclassed pretty fast. Exactly. 
So I want to give you a specific number that shows you just how bad Eldrazi is against shops. In the mm-hmm. combined data, the workshop's win percentage, that's for all of September, against Eldrazi is 83.33%. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Eldrazi- that is very damning for Eldrazi. <laughs> exactly. Eldrazi's win percentage against shops, to put it the other way, is 16.67%. And just to give you a sense, its win percentage against Paradoxical Outcome is 50%, against Xerox is 57%. Uh, so, you know, that, that's bad numbers. Those are bad numbers. Now, the numbers might be relatively small, even in the aggregate for, you know, was it five events we're aggregating? But that's still really bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, there weren't very many Eldrazi players in the, all of those events. So right. it's a large number of events. It's a, still a, a small number of matches. But there were at least <laughs> six different players that we're talking about. So, yeah. <clears throat> so there's also the distinction between white Eldrazi and tribal Eldrazi. Right. And that, that must be addressed here, too. Tribal Eldrazi is not nearly as popular in a day-in and day-out basis online as it will be at Champs, because right. it is the third of the trifecta of budget decks that I yes. alluded to earlier. Yes. And so there are a number of people, be it people who play vintage regularly but don't have the cards, that's proxy players, right, who can build Eldrazi or borrow it, people who just want to play in Champs, the, the kind of person you alluded to before, like, I just want to play in Champs, what can I borrow? Right. Uh, I know there will be a number of those people. And then legacy players, legacy players who just don't feel like playing Delver or some Delver variant and want something a little more raw power. And they'll point to this thing that they can also build that, that you know has also made its mark on legacy in the past. And the, so the combination of all those factors means tribal Eldrazi will still be more represented at champs than it is by a few factors, but that's still a small <laughs> number because well, the representation is small. Just to put... To, to underscore what I've said, though, Kevin, in the last two yep. vintage challenges, in the top 32 eight, two deck, so out of 64 decks, the top 32 reported decks, can you guess how many Eldrazi decks there have been? Uh, single digits, I would guess two or three. One. One. Wow. One. <laughs> that's out of 64 decks. Yeah. And that's the top performers, too. So there may have been others, but they're not doing well. Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the um, and it's the 20th, that's wow. That's a it's crazy. The 20th place deck from the seventh. It, it has, let me, let me just make sure. You know what really throws that number into relief, Steve, is the numbers for Eldrazi at last year's Champs. Because yeah. we talked about how surprising yeah, it was that definitely. Champs that Workshops was only 11.7%, and it felt like it was a lot more than that. Right. The reason it felt like it was so much more than that because it was is because Eldrazi was, was eight, 18%. Right. Wait, I already I pointed that out at the beginning of the section on this, but yeah, that's right. It's, <laughs> it was a huge amount of Eldrazi. Now, I want to point something out. The one Eldrazi deck in the last two weeks got 20th place by S. Sasala, and he was playing... That's Steve Sasala of Team Serious fame. (laughs) Got it. He was playing White Eldrazi. He was playing, I think, pretty much... This looks exactly what Espia Trenera was playing, except he has three Sorcerer's Spyglass main deck. I just wanted to Mm -hmm. point that out. So his mana base base is four Tomb, four Cavern of Souls, four Eldrazi Temple, Caracas, four Plains, one Strip Mine, four Wasteland, and he has... Uh, Eldrazi Displacer, Revoker, Smasher, Thal- both Thalias, Thought Not Seer, and a pair of Containment Priests. So, so it seems like a bit of a experiment with Spyglass on the part of Steve there. I haven't spoken right. to him about his, his thoughts on the card, so I don't know if... It, it's pretty clear that the community as a whole has not adopted it, but I, I'm not sure if he had a good experience with it or not. So The, I, 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 the, the change... I, so I just can't shake the fact that the change in representation for Eldrazi from 2016 to 2017 could be 
the largest single change year over year in archetype representation that we've seen since we've been doing this it's, show. It's going to be a reversal, right? It's going to be yeah. a complete reversal. <laughs> Last year, it's 18%. I'm just going to skip to the end here. I'm going to predict uh, f- like 4%. For overall for Eldrazi? Overall for all of Eldrazi, That's, tribal and white Eldrazi. That is very close to what I was going to say. I think the range is like 3 to 6.5%. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be right around that. I think 4% is actually, I think that's where I'm going to land. That seems so damn low, but <laughs> for, it's just the way things have changed. Yeah, I it, mean, the, the, this is one of the effects, though, that you and I talked about and predicted with the restrictions. The fact that they chose Thorn to restrict instead of Sphere meant that it hurt Eldrazi. I don't want to say it hurt it more than it hurt shops, but in terms yeah. of their representation, we knew that it would push players in this overall taxing yes. category toward workshops. Yes. And, and that has certainly manifest in the percentage breakdown of the two. White Eldrazi is not dead, and Tribal Eldrazi right. is not dead. Well, maybe Tribal Eldrazi is dead, but it's, it's not doing very well. I think this may also be an example where something is more popular in Europe. My sense is that based upon the European Vintage Championship uh, versus the North American, Wild mm-hmm. Rossi was very well represented in Europe. I think it's I think it's much more popular in Spain than it is in the United States. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm with you. I think so. The overall taxing category, you're going at thirty percent, and I'm going at about twenty-seven and a half percent. All right. All right. Well, Kevin, I think the next big one is paradoxical outcome, right? Definitely. So outcome is unlike shops, one of those things that all oscillates pretty wildly. <laughs> right. You know, we talked in previous shows how it goes from like eight percent to thirty percent to twenty percent to eleven percent. You know, over the course of the year, and September is frankly no exception to that. Right. So just to give you the overall breakdown, here's how paradoxical has gone from the beginning of September to the end in the vintage challenge: twenty nine point three percent. 21.4% to 14.6%, back up to 20.5%, back down to 9.1%. Uh, and then October 7th, and again, we only have the top 32 deck lists, Kevin, but it's only 6.25%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So this, this is something that just oscillates wildly. Uh, you know, This si- really puts a cramp in our prediction. <laughs> 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 I mean, we're really I, just throwing I darts at a board here. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, what it means is that we have to use a lot more of our, you know, insight and context to try and try and make it. As we've done before, I do want to go back to extravaganza. Kevin. Yeah. Zero paradoxical outcome decks in the top eight. Of course. And one <laughs> in the top 16, the highest 15th place. Well, you say, of yep. course. What you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean that, that we know that that top eight was dominated by shops and dredge, so. Yeah. There were only two decks that weren't Shops and Dredge in that top eight. Well, the point is that Paradoxical Outcome has done very poorly, I yeah. think. It's it's very powerful. I mean, look, you and I both played Paradoxical Outcome last year yeah. for a lot of reasons. We thought it was going to be insanely good. It was a good metagame choice. I'm very, ex- I'm very proud of the fact that we played Paradoxical Outcome before almost anyone else was on Paradoxical Outcome. Uh, our list was ahead of its time in no, that event. No doubt. Yeah. But... We, I mean, we were mentoring harder than anyone else, but <laughs> but um, it's 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 one of those things where people can come in at this event and say, "I just want a paradoxical outcome. I just want to play really broken things." Mm-hmm. And there will be some number of players who are doing that, but it's hard to really imagine a lot of players doing that. I don't think it's 
I, I mean, it's certainly not going to be in the upper range. Do you think it's going to be between 20 and 30%? I don't think so at all. It's going to be below no. 20, below 20, right? The- yeah, I agree. Um, and for, for a point of reference, last year's combo grouping at Champs, all of combo, which we can talk about what that means, was 8.7%. <laughs> Similar to Grixis and Big Blue decks and Jace Control, every year there's a certain cadre of people who will bring a combo deck right there's people who are always going to bring a tendrils deck or always going to bring belcher or something like that and that group is very small but it's consistent and i would say obviously the outcome numbers at 8.7 percent as part of that larger number were probably only five or six percent in total last year and it was partly because outcome was so fresh and there weren't mature lists and there were still a lot of disagreement about how the deck should be constructed etc cetera, etc cetera. so really only people that had great lists like us or people who are combo diehards basically brought outcome last year since then the archetype has proven its power but it's also proven its inconsistency and with the best deck in the format being one of its natural predators in workshops its performance has been all over the board yeah I, and the restriction of thorn obviously helps outcome in a sense but unfortunately, the Jeskai decks and the predominant blue control decks of the format have adapted such that Stony Silence and Null Rod combined with Flusterstorm, Pyroblast, and Mindbreak Trap have all become standard. Reminder that there was a point in the past when that was not the case. Null Rod yeah. was not always a standard. But basically, right. the sent- Delver decks are all over the yeah. place. Yeah. But also the mentor decks, right? Basically, it was when Rich Shea popularized his silent mentor list was a turning point online such that a stony silence plus one in the board and one to three copies of Mindbreak trap somewhere in the 75 became standard that really dampens the effect of outcome i personally would not want to bring outcome to champs this year partially no. because the kind of hate you could face is a little unpredictable in a larger field and there's still the largest representation of decks is going to be the taxing category the combination of those two factors and the fact that now all the Jeskai decks, almost all the Jeskai decks have Stony Silence. Almost all the Delver decks have Null Rods. That's one of the things that you and I were trying to dodge last year because it wasn't yet the case. We were right then. It would not be the case now. The outcome would not be a great metagame choice, I, I don't think. I also think m- m- Outcome suffers greatly from the, pr- from the strengths of by force in this current metagame. Not just sure. the Null Rod effects, but the fact that like any deck with red is going to have a bunch of by, uh, by force. Which just like, you know, it's just going to, even if it can just take away two artifacts off of Paradox Outcome de- board, that's two more draw spells. You know, that's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, so. Yeah. Unfortunately, our Outcome just gets that splash hate from workshops. That's just one of the things you sign up for when you play the heavy artifact accelerant deck. I want to point out something specific about Outcome vis a vis, you know, it's, it's oscillation in terms of representation. Not only did its percentage, the metagame oscillate wildly, <laughs> but also right. its win percentage oscillated wildly. So it went from 41% win percentage to 55 to 62 and a 26% to 41. Its average win percentage uh, com- combined match win percentage is 44.7%. But I wanted to point out that 62.5 win percentage was largely a function of the fact that this guy Lampalot won the mid-September Vintage Challenge with Paradoxical Outcome with one mentor main deck, one blightsteel colossus, two uh, key vault, and in a kind of a three mox opal list. So he actually won the event 
And for a while, people were messing with that outcome list. So he did well with it, but it really hasn't done very much since then. Yeah. Well, in fact, it's done very poorly since then. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also, I think, boy, it's really kind of tricky to predict the combo breakdown at champs. The combo category is usually just a consolidated concept that we talk about. Yeah. The last couple of years, it's been primarily Dark Petition, Dark Petition Storm. Storm. Yeah. Yeah. This year, this year it's going to be like show and tell uh, bargain. Yeah, that's right. There's going to be an uptick over representation, I would, I would call it, for bargain decks because of the recent unrestriction. And, and the and, top eight. Yeah. Yeah. And because of VSL, too, and just people getting excited about it. So there's that factor. And I just think that the combo category is going to be a little bit more splintered probably larger than usual because outcome is still a a thing right it's still like a 10 percent maybe deck but i do think the floor for outcome itself is all the way down to seven eight percent is the floor completely agree yeah Yeah. and the ceiling the ceiling is probably 15 you know if there's a strange no 15 is even no i don't know that's low but i wouldn't go that high i I mean i'm gonna put it i still put it above 10 percent. i would say because it's powerful because a lot of people are committed to it. Certain people have been playing it consistently and, and doing okay. I don't think it's a good metagame choice because of the variance and because of the omnipresence of shops. But if you if you go into that with your eyes open, you can still put it together a winning record. So my guess is my guess is less than the representation in the challenges for September overall. That average number again was 18.7%. Yes. Yeah, that's the ceiling for me. That I mean, that's the absolute ceiling, but I don't think it's going to be that high. I think also because of the bargain under restriction, I think some potential outcome players are going to be attracted to bargain. So, yeah. Doesn't Put- leave the doesn't leave the combo world, but it does uh, reduce the outcome numbers. I'm going to go down to 12%. But I I mean That's a very that's a very sophisticated uh prediction. I, that but that number has I think the highest variance of any of my predictions. I mean I would go plus or minus yeah, 3 or 4% on that number and still be okay. Is, yeah, it's pretty yeah. wide. I I think that's a very keen prediction. I'm going to take the under. I think it's going to be closer to 10 or 11%. Uh, I think it's going to be I'm going to go 10.5%. Okay. We're totally reasonable, I think. Yeah. You've taken the under on everything so far. You've been two and a half percent under on shops. You were it's like <laughs> five and a half under on Xerox. You were <laughs> Yeah, you were so you're one and a half under on outcome. You've got you've got almost ten percent more numbers than me. Oh, you were higher on dredge. So yes. maybe you're at like five to seven percent higher than me. Where's where do you think that all goes? Well, at the end of the day, if mine doesn't have to a hundred, I'll have to to to, to readjust. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just making fun of you. I know you're not you're not you don't have this all laid out in advance. Well, well, um, well one thing that that I do think is I'll just mention it right now. We did, one of the patterns from Eternal Weekend is that whatever won the previous year is overrepresented the next. So mm-hmm. last year we were both surprised by just how much damn oath there was, right? Yeah, that's true. That was so, the one of the predictions that we got the most wrong by right. a handful of percent. So I'm going to I'm going to overestimate. I think there's I've seen a lot of land still online recently. It's a pretty okay. good deck. I think we're going to see a lot more Landstill than we normally do. So last year, I went back and looked, and I think it was like 2.5% Landstill. Do you have the number in front of you? I don't. It's all, in the version I've got, it's all yeah. lumped under blue control, which well, there, was 3.8%. Yeah, there's a yeah. sub-arc type. It was something like 2.8%. I think we're going to see like 3-4% Landstill, honestly. So I'm going to... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of my numbers. Can you, If you could add that into our chart. 
I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be. I'll just say three point seven five percent Lansdale. Well, that's a pretty specific number. I like it. Um, um, and that's an interesting point. I I hadn't considered. I had estimated when we you know, back of the envelope stuff when before we started this. I had estimated Lansdale to be in the the one percent range. But your comments about about the overrepresentation because of the prior year's performance that probably rings true. Even though that having been said. I still, even if you double the land still number, it still only goes by one or two percent. So, so the so margin d- of so error is pretty small here. Well, the percentage I have it right here. The percentage of the metagame last last year was two point six two percent. Okay, and there were nine players. So if you double that, <laughs> if you double that, you get five over five percent. I I would say it's pretty unlikely that you're going to hit five percent land still. I, I I agree. I agree. But but okay. But you're not estimating that. You're estimating no. three and three and three quarters. I think that three and three quarters numbers is still a little high, but uh, I can we'll see your point other. about, <laughs> I mean, but it's not by much, right? I mean, yeah. if, if it was two and a half percent last year, I could see 3% being reasonable, especially if Landstill's been doing okay online, which it has. Yeah, I, you've, you've talked me into it. I would say 3% for Landstill is a reasonable prediction. By the way, I should have mentioned this, but the breakdown of colorless to white Eldrazi last year was 12.24% colorless and 5.8.83% white Eldrazi. So wow. anyway, anyway, you and I hit the wrong percentages of the metagame last year, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I played against it twice. How many how many times did you play it? I Two or told, three times? I already told you this. It's like <laughs> <laughs> eight of my nine matches were workshop or Eldrazi. Yeah. <laughs> it's just miserable. Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, anyway, so so the last year combined oath, there was a lot of different oaths, but oath was twelve and a half percent, twelve point eight percent of the metagame. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna get that much oath this year, but Brian Kelly has been doing very well with his kind of innovative Oath deck that uses Inferno Titan, uh, Gristlebrand, and Oriox Salvagers, and I would not be surprised if he's playing that at Vintage Champs. Um, the um, just to, I've seen a yeah, lot I of co- I've agree. seen a lot of people copying it too. Just to say that the numbers for the September challenges for Oath have some serious variants, but it's mostly because one month on the twenty third, no one played it. Yeah, <laughs> if you take that month out. The average number of players is very narrow. It's three or four players, which ranges from six to nine percent. It looks like the average overall was six and a half percent. I would say that six and a half percent for the recent challenges combined with twelve point eight percent last year means that those are probably the floor and the ceiling, I would say, relatively yeah. speaking. Yes. I would tend closer to the floor this year just because Oath hasn't won anything great yes. lately. Yeah. And only people who really follow online results with a passion are going to see Brian's performances, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, his results uh, and, haven't and the, been high profile. In the last challenge, despite the fact that he did pretty well in the vintage leagues, in the last challenge, he got 28th place. Yeah, so. that's, what I'm, that's what I mean. So people who follow that type of deck and specifically Brian's performances will be energized by that, I think, a little bit. Yes. And there's I think Brian has created a, a certain subset of people who really just enjoy <laughs> that <laughs> archetype and his approach to it and I can't blame them. So what do you However, think? However, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to manifest as large numbers. So I think the range is 6% to 12% and I think it's going to be on the lower end of that range. Yeah. Um so, I mean I think it's going to be close to the bottom of that range. I'm going to go 7%. That's exactly what I was going to say actually. I was really? going to say exactly 7. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to have to make up ground somewhere. I, I think it's going to be 7%. Yep. <clears throat> so that we've hit all the major the major archetypes well, in I terms we, of we needed, the groupings. Right. We need, we still need we don't need to give specific numbers on a lot of random stuff. Right. But the the archetype I want to turn to now is Grixis. Okay. Because what's interesting about Grixis is this was 
for a long time, Grixis was basically Jace the Mind Sculptor control decks, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, like with uh, Bob Jace, Gus Jace, uh, Keyvault, et cetera, et cetera. There has been a kind of emergence of um, Grixis decks uh, with N- Notion Thief again and um, Dak. And I want to point out, a, a, there have been a couple of these Notion Thief decks that have appeared uh, either in the 5.0s of the Vintage League or in these Vintage Challenge Top 8s that basically play, they're very interesting. They play like a subterranean Tremors main deck, <laughs> it, you know, and they play they play with like, you know, Dak in Notion Thief and Jace the Mind Sculptor. And they've got, you know, a lot of the good cards that you just don't see as much at these days, you know? They play with Yogmas Will and Tinker and all that good stuff. So, um, is this part anyway, of did you, is this part of the resurgence of Knight's Whisper that we discussed before? <laughs> there has, yes. There's been a pair of Knight's Whispers in these decks. Yeah, do you I, see one? I know what you're talking about because I think it was Bob Marr who played one in this in the last trimester of the VSL. I remember yes. the Subterranean yeah. Tremors play because he was he was tutoring, I think, and and neither the commentators called the Subterranean Tremors as the out in that particular yes. scenario. It was pretty awesome. Yes. Yes, you found the deck list. There was an eighth place deck list from the September 30th top eight. It's exactly what it was looking. It has two Dak, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Notion Thief, three Snapcaster Mage, which, by the way, Mark Lenegra run many years ago, mm-hmm. two, no- two Knights Whisper, DT, Probe, Merchant Scroll, Ponder, three Preordained, Time Walk, Treasure Cruise, Abrade, Ancestral, Brainstorm, Dig, Flusterstorm, Four Force, One Gush, Two Mana Drain, Four Misstep, Two Pyroblast. I guess this list doesn't have any Yog Will or tinker and it only has five mocks and it's almost like a hybrid between it's almost like a turbo xerox deck honestly it's only got 15 land six artifacts and three preordains with two knights whisper yeah but I mean, three preordains and two knights whisper it, it it kind of uh it kind of xerox is better than the delver decks do <laughs> it does have a pair of mana drain yeah um and you could easily s- see someone playing a yog will in this deck absolutely so you know but anyway this deck is is i'd say back you know this, this is done pretty well and this is the kind of deck that gets pretty popular around this time of year, as you already pointed out. Um, and it's got a lot of powerful tools. It can go really hard control. I have actually seen this deck online with Tinker Blightsteel. So I've seen people play this exact list. Um, you know, not exact, but this <clears throat> archetype. Yeah. With this I think it's safe to say that if you see your opponent on on Grixis, that you should be on the lookout for Tinker. You should assume that yeah. Tinker is, is in the possibility space, even though this particular list clearly doesn't have it. Yeah, so I and so what does that mean then in terms of the Grixis representation at champs? Because last year's numbers, we don't have a specific breakdown for Grixis itself, but it would be lumped into the traditional big. key vault category. Big blue. Yeah, yeah, it's under big blue, but it would be lumped into the traditional key vault category, I think, which was only one and a half percent last year, five people at champs. But Big Blue overall, and I don't... Is Bug linked under Big Blue, or is it its own category? I think... No, Bug is listed under the fish category. But last year, it looks like Big Blue last year included Paradoxical. That's interesting. I didn't realize they had done that categorization. Yeah, it was probably... It's been revised. Paradoxical broken out now. Yeah, that's interesting. Big Blue in total, including including the the Paradoxical lists, it was um, 7.5% last year. Well, the big blue average for September on the four challenges, mm-hmm. sorry, f- five challenges, right. was 6.8%. Yep. And that doesn't include paradoxical, whereas it did in last year's champs results. <laughs> yeah. So if you take paradoxical out, then at champs last year, big blue was, looks like 4%, give or take. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I would predict. Yeah. I was going to predict 4.5%. 
Yeah, that is that's pretty much what I would say too. I think that if you just predict Grixis, then yeah, it gets a little bit. Gets a, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the, the numbers get too small to really group things together. But if it's Grixis slash other big blue decks like Tesserator kind of lists, yes, then yes. yeah, I think four percent is right. Yep, I'm going four and a half. Yeah. Well. Uh, we're getting down to the point where everything is in the low single digits. The last biggest archetype is bug. Yeah, let's. I mean, I my total is over right now. It's let's see. So I just had four and a half. My total is over eighty percent right now. So bug. By the way, I will I will say that in the um, online metagame, blue control quote unquote is also average six point eight percent. Right. So and there was a landstill deck in the top eight of one of the most recent challenges. By the way, got eighth place on the seventh. Which so, just, lends more credence to the notion that it'll be better represented this year than last. Right, right. So um, turning to Bug, which is the final deck we'll look at. Um, we don't really need to say a lot about Bug. You played a lot in the BSL. There's a lot of Bug variants out there. Almost all of them are leable decks. Right. And they have Ramu, Ramu Netmap Excavator, right? And, <laughs> and Deathrite Shaman. There's been a lot of consolidation around Bug in the last month. It, the, it, a lot of the popular lists are only within a half dozen cards of each other. The key variances have been, do you play Green Sun Zenith and do you play Dark Confidant? I think Dark Confidant is probably the most important question. Green Sun is usually only a one-of anyway. So I would say that's the sum total, basically, of the, the, the questionable variances in Bug of late. I played a Landstill deck in the VSL, but that is certainly not the standard. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I would not expect that. I would be I mean I would be surprised if more than one person brought that particular kind of list to champs. The standard list is going to be a Leovold deck, possibly Green Sun Zenith, possibly Dark Confidant or uh, another kind of draw engine like Preordain like Knight's Whisper that kind of thing. So do you have a do you have a a bead on where Bug is going to be for Vintage Champs? I believe it's going to be much higher than last year, but that was a very low number. Last year's Bug yeah. number was only 2.5%. <laughs> <laughs> the deck obviously got much more popular because of Leovold and much more popular because of the mentor restriction. The combination of those two things is I think it's I think it could double, but that's still a small number. So I think it seems strange to say it this way, but I think Bug will be more popular than Grixis, mm-hmm. even though Grixis is traditionally very popular at champs. You know, by comparison to the the overall metagame, I still think Bug is a, is a five percent deck at champs this year. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting position deck, right? It's kind of a pain in the butt to deal with, but and it typically has done well against workshops. That's true. But so, and remember that famous win that Bug got in the uh Yeah, I'll never forget it. Bizarre Moxie. <laughs> the bizarre, that's right. Yeah. All those snuff outs. Yeah. So I think it's in the five percent range too, but I think that's probably more near the ceiling. I think the range is probably like three to seven percent. That's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. So I mean I'll go five, just I'll be game gamer here <laughs> <laughs> i think that bug is an interesting place it's clearly the kind of deck that a lot of people had affection for and wanted to be good but mentor was uh, was you know repressing so the fact that mentor got restricted meant there was this big i think floodgates opened and a lot of people said finally i can play bug again then it turns out that it's still really hard to metagame bug to beat shops and chess guy consistently yeah and that that hasn't changed. It's still in that quandary right there. And if you can build a bug deck that beats Shops and Jeskai, then you have problems with Outcome and Dredge and things like that. So that's not to say that it's impossible to build a good bug deck. I think it still does some a lot of things really well. But you have to have a plan for Pyroblast. <laughs> I yes. said this on coverage on VSL over and over. Pyroblast is 
is the the natural predator to Leovold, and that's just one thing that's still stymieing Bug completely. So what do you what do you what's your number for Bug? I'm going to say five percent. Uh, the, the the possible variation there is a small window. It's only one or two percent that I could be wrong by. I think it'll be more represented than it was last year. Well, my overall numbers, if I'm adding this up correctly, gets me to uh, eight, about eighty five percent. It's possible I miscalculated, but um, that's a little you know, bit. That leaves a, a lot of room for others. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit low. I usually want the other category to be under 10%. Yeah. So if I'm going to fudge anything, I think I'm going to take Dredge to 11.5%. Okay, I think there's even a higher, more... huh? Interesting. Yeah. That's our that's I, our I, key difference, you and I, is Dredge and then Xerox. Are you going to raise <laughs> your Xerox number? I think no. it's too low. <laughs> no, I... Um, well, again, it's a definitional thing, right? It depends on what we mean. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll take it to 17%, just to appease you. <laughs> An extra yeah. half a percent, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> that moves Jeskai and Delver up to 8.5%. But, you know, there's a lot of other random stuff out there. You know, I didn't talk about, like, humans or Stoneblade. Stoneblade's going to be a couple percentage. Yeah. Humans is going to be a couple percentage. Um, you know, someone's going to play. We didn't talk about Bargain, Tent, Dark Ritual decks. That's going to be a couple percentage. Yeah. So I feel pretty good. I think that's that's a good enough percent. Yeah, we don't really need to predict all those one to two percent no. decks. I mean, there's no. no there's no value in doing that. But suffice it to say, there's still a lot of decks that are one or two percent, and and you could get paired up against them, but there'll be a the tiniest slice of the metagame. Last year, that's what Landstill was, and it won the whole event. So, yep. who knows? We'll who just knows? have to see. So, I encourage everyone to pay close attention to next week's vintage challenge to see what what happens there. We you're obviously recording before that will happen. Um, but take a look at the top 32 deck lists and just, you know, go through them and try and make sense of what happened. Steve, do you want to run down both of our numbers or at least the range of our numbers so that everyone can hear it one more time? I think, I think it'd be great if you could do that. Okay. So I'm just going to read our list top to bottom here, but it's not in a particular order exactly. So I'll read a range of our lowest prediction to our highest prediction. We'll, We'll worry about who got the, the winning score when we do our report card in a couple of weeks. For workshops, we predicted 235 to 26%. For the Xerox category as a whole, 17 to 23. For Jeskai, 8.5 to 15. For Delver, 8 to 8.5. Pretty narrow band there. For Outcome, 10.5 to 12. For Bug, 4 and 3 quarters to 5%. For Dredge, 8% to 11.5. Eldrazi, 4% across the board. Oath, 7% across the board. Grixis combined with other big blue, 4 to 4.5%. And land still three to three and three quarters percent. I want to make I want to make one amendment. I'm going to up my Eldrazi to five percent. I just think people are going to come with tribal just to play. So that's what I would expect to. I'd expect a predominance of tribal there. Okay. Everything else is in the one to two percent range. Dark petition, other tendrils decks, keeper style, multicolor control, bomberman. Actually, I think Stoneblade will be more than one to two percent. I think that'll probably be between like two and four percent. What what makes you say that? Well. So before the restriction of Monastery Mentor, Stoneblade was the third best performing deck online in the entire format. And wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, we, we went over that when we did the restriction episode. And I just and, and right after the restriction, there were a lot of people who were playing Stoneforge Mystic decks, and they were doing pretty well. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, like 3%, but I think it could be a little over 2%. Anyway. Okay, fair enough. I'll put you down for 2.5% on Stoneblade, okay. just so we have something to talk about <laughs> when it comes time. Sure. <laughs> And I, I could be persuaded that that's one of the 2% decks. I mean, there's there's nothing nothing outrageous about that at all. It'll be interesting. I mean, that that we haven't seen a lot of time to, for that show-and-tell deck to manifest. There was a, obviously, a, I, I don't know, we didn't even mention this, but uh, Tom 
Metesky, I think that's I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he he won one of these challenges a couple of weeks ago with Flash with Rector Flash, and we right. we didn't even mention that. So I forgot I forgot to mention that because I really don't expect more than one no. or two people to play that at champs. <laughs> no, <laughs> but that but deck was awesome. It was and awesome. I always I have an affection for Rector Flash. Yes. But I do think that 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 show that show and tell bargain deck could be real. I mean, the one thing we talked about for bar unrestricting bargain is that it makes show and tell better because then you can play you know whatever. But right, the, the reason it's not d- dissuasive to the argument for unrestricting bargain is because you can still show and t- tell Gristlebrand, so it's not <laughs> that much better, right? But right. nonetheless, right. nonetheless, that deck is real, and I I think I think that deck could be a one and a half two percenter. That's right. I won't be surprised to see that deck at champs. All right. Well, good show. All right. Oh, and I just would like to invite everyone, if you do come to Vintage Champs and you want me to sign your gush book, I'd be happy to <laughs> happy to do so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And since this is the show before Vintage Champs, I just want to remind all of our audience that we like to meet listeners who we have never met before. I, I thoroughly enjoy it when people come up and introduce themselves. And you needn't gush about the show. That's just fine. But <laughs> saying hi to people who we've affected in a positive way throughout this show is is always a, a pleasure to me. So, and to both of us, I'm sure. So, please do come up and say hi and say, "Hey, I, I I've listened to the show and uh, thanks for what you do, or I like what you do, or here's what you got wrong here, or something along those lines." And uh, I'll be happy to chat. I've met a number of people at Champs over the past couple of decades. And well, okay, haven't been doing the show for decades, but over the past several years, I've met a number of people that specifically came up because of the show, and I love it. So, yes, please don't stop cool. doing that. So, the question of the show, Kevin, is what is going to win Vintage Championship? Absolutely, we want to hear our audience make their call. Hmm. We're not making that call as part of our predictions because, well, we've alluded to a number of things we expect in the top eight, but we don't predict the actual winning archetype. There are a number of ones that we won't be surprised about at all, though. But I have to be honest, Landstill was a surprise last year to me. Yes. <laughs> and I imagine to a lot of people. That having been said, there are a number of strong candidates that we've just discussed. And anyone who is comfortable with their deck and has made good choices and practiced will be in a good position. So best of luck to all of you. And with that, thank you for listening to episode 72 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. As always, and until next time, we wish you many insane plays.